So what are we going to talk about today, to, tonight, fellas? Like, I feel like there's there's really nothing to talk about, right? EVA's last game was just, eh, you know, no big deal. I'll be releasing that's a con, statement. That's gone now. I feel about <laughs> I'll be releasing a statement. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's real good. But you make sure you look, make sure it comes out at like eleven thirty at night. You know, there's nothing. But by the way, I just got a notification saying that my Ken Palm subscription has just lapsed like yesterday. Uh-huh. There's nothing more like automatic for me than just being like, "Yep, here's twenty bucks. <laughs> just take it." Thank you for your service. CavsCorner.com, podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin stays in the West End of Richmond, where it is Monday? Monday? February the 13th. Um, schedules and uh, games and all the fun stuff this week just kind of made it so that recording um, made the most sense tonight, which is what we will do, um, because this way, instead of previewing Louisville or previewing Notre Dame you get we'll mention those two games by maybe 37 seconds but we're going to spend the bulk of uh of this year episode talking about things that you you're exactly right about what we're going to talk about uh before we get started let's go around and introduce everybody first in Fishersville board matter writer du jour David Spencer's on the show how's it going my friend I heard to get much like UNC uh to be determined how how things are going who days on the board at who days on Twitter and in uh, Charlottesville, editor-in-chief Justin Ferber is also back on the program. How's it going, my dude? Pretty good. Uh, we only have one game to discuss this week, so we'll definitely be able to equally divide our attention on the podcast between just this one game because we don't have to talk about the game before it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Uh, Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Imagine a world where we spent just as much time previewing Louisville and Notre Dame as we would talking about what happened against Duke. Imagine imagine that. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, if Dave had to like go trick-or-treating or something tonight, like <laughs> we probably would have. <laughs> yeah, probably. If Dave had to go trick-or-treating. I don't All know. All right. But, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's fun. Okay. 69-62, your boy was one point off on my prediction from Friday. Thanks for playing, everybody. Um, I'm sure there's a free throw somewhere in there Virginia missed that I you know, would have... The well, last one. There, that's Franklin true. Franklin missed the back end of the... Of the uh, oh, that's true. If he makes that, then family I'm... Family does you dirty. I really <laughs> <true>. am. <laughs> family does you dirty. Uh, that's a really good title. Well, that might have to be it. But if you wanted UVA to have 69 points, you know, for some some reason, then, Kyle. then it worked out well. Um, for the record, Kyle, he didn't tell me. I didn't have any idea. All right, so 69-62, Virginia. I mean, this is like a – this is like a um, – we we joke we joke sometimes about like Rorschach tests, right? Like literally anything that you want, any angle you want to take on this game, it's there, right? Virginia wins a game against a blue blood despite going nine of twenty two at the free throw line, right? 
despite making just four of 14 attempts from three. All right. Somehow or another, Duke loses a game um, that its opponent not just shot nine to 22 from the free throw line. They made nine threes. Um, they, I mean, in a lot of ways, Duke, like if you look at the numbers, like Duke really kind of should have won this game. But then you look at the numbers and you think, well, Virginia had 42 points in the paint. Um, against against a Duke team that, I mean, not just a preview that I wrote, but like basically everybody was focused on, you know, the, the post advantage that Duke had. We're going to have to get into why John Shire decided not to play um, the Lively kid more. Because uh, I'm, I'm just honestly not surprised. I'm just, I just have no idea. Um, but I, what a, what a weird what a weird game and so many, I mean, Filipowski doesn't score. Um, I mean, it was just, this thing is just really strange from like every angle and whatever you want to make this thing into. It's like a, it's like a house of mirrors, man. You can just go at it. Um, before we get into obviously the way it ended, I want to talk about everything that came before it because there was a lot of stuff that came before that. Right. Um, Dave, I don't think you got to watch this all the way live, right? You 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 watched in real time from like at some point on, but you didn't get to watch the whole thing live. Um, yeah, take us through sort of your just emotions, <laughs> um, because it went from you know I'm guessing highs and some lows, and then there was some anger, and then there was some oh my gosh, like <laughs> Duke finally yeah. got kind of screwed once and for all, and uh, and then obviously happiness at UVA one. But take us through sort of whatever you you got to see live and what it was like. Well, luckily they didn't, didn't tip to like four oh nine. Um, I I could I left work around five, so I was able to catch the last couple of minutes of the first half on the radio. Um, so Virginia in the white uniforms with the, uh, the blue lettering, they made a little run there at the end of the first half, so that was good. And I got home in plenty of time to see the second. But yeah, I mean. A little weird. We were busy, so I wasn't able to follow it point by point in the first half. But clearly, you know, Duke had a lead, Virginia cut it, and then Duke got a lead, and Virginia cut it again. Um, it, it, the whole thing was kind of weird. Um, not to take away from your question, but like the one thing that kind of stuck with me as I was watching the game is like I have seen Virginia play some incredible games against Duke and lose the last ten years, and this is probably one of the definitely the worst they've ever played in a win against Duke by far, you know, um, you know, they've, I'm trying, even last year, the key, Hey, three pointer game. Um, I think that was last year, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, Virginia's played when well, not been able, yeah, Virginia's yeah, played was, well, not been able to win and done everything you think they had to do. and still lost. And they kind of, honestly, that game played out exactly the opposite of how I thought it would. Um, with Duke, I, I was, you know, from our um, ridiculously good podcast last week where I said I'd, I'd just let Filipowski try to score 50 points or 40 points and lock everyone else down. Uh, Bennett really liked my advice. Because, um, you know, everyone else scored except, <laughs> except for Filipowski. <laughs> the uh, the it was fun... like a stanza opposite sort of situation. Right. No, Bizarre. you know, it's, what's funny, dude, dude, is if you think about it, um, the one thing that they hadn't done, okay, no matter how well they played, they had not exercised that one demon, right? And when that dude was no longer on the bench, man, apparently, you know what? Everything that you thought you knew about this rivalry went right out the window. I mean, Ferber, how, 
42 points in the paint against Duke, right? They turned Duke over 22 times, all right? Shot 9 of 22 from the free throw line. Somehow managed, I mean, it's just it was just bizarre. Give me give me some some thoughts. Yeah, it was a weird game. I mean, Dave, you said you didn't really, I'm sure you've gone back and watched, but like the first half was really clunky. I mean, both ways. It was, and it wasn't like, man, the two defenses are just lighting it up. Like it was more like the teams just weren't executing well. Bad passes, turnovers, stuff like that. Duke's defense did have some good stretches where they were just not giving UVA anything, but, um, and UVA's defense did too, but it, it really was clunky. But I kind of had a, I mean, you kind of went into halftime thinking like, all right, this game's about to open up. UVA ended the half pretty good. And, you know, we're got back within, within two. I think the way they closed the half is sort of an underrated piece of this, you know, and that happened earlier this year too. And I remember mentioning it on the show where it was like, they they won a game close late, but it was like they they really rallied at the end of the first half. Um, but uh, Michigan maybe. Um, yeah. but yep, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they were down like sixteen or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought like the second half was a much better played game. I thought Duke's defense was ball watching a little bit. You mentioned lively. I think there were some foul issues. I mean, there were a lot of fouls in this game. Period. Um, I remember Dave commenting on it at halftime. UVA had a bunch of dudes with fouls, but I think Duke had more fouls, like total. It was like a, a lot and lot of calls, especially in the first half. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, UVA made some plays. You mentioned like Duke would get a lead, UVA would come back. Like eventually UVA did take a lead by like five and then Duke took it back. UVA led by five late. UVA couldn't hang on to it. Um, and I think ultimately if they had lost at the end on a different call or maybe even in overtime, I think the story might've been just as much about, you know, how UVA kind of had it and then couldn't close the game out. Right. Um, I think that would have maybe been the story, but I mean, it's, we'll get into the call and everything, but obviously like it's a good win for them. Um, I thought Duke played relatively well after playing a really bad game at Miami. Um, They bounced back and played pretty well. They have the talent. I mean, it's pretty clear and, um, UVA kind of let some of their like down the line guys hurt them more than you want them to like Whitehead and yeah, Whitehead had a nice and Granderson had the yeah. big three at the end of regulation. Um, and you know, that kind of kept them in it, but, and Roach was awesome in the first half. Um, but ultimately, I mean, we'll get into the call, I guess, but like my, my takeaway is like, you just, whenever you can beat Duke, you'd take it. Um, and you don't, you don't have to apologize, you know, for the situation at the end. <laughs> yeah. So to, to put this in perspective, Roach has 12 points on five of seven in the first half. Um, foul trouble was certainly an issue. He, he scored four in the second half, two of four from the field, oh, yeah. one from three. He got his um, third, like 30 seconds into the yeah, half it was pretty or something quick. like that. Yeah. He didn't, he, he obviously, you know, he only played two minutes of the OT, but he didn't take a shot. I thought one of the things I thought was interesting was that, like, usually in this situation, when you have a big play at the end of the of a game, um, like like Duke had, you know, even if the game goes to overtime, they get a little bit of a, um, you know, a little just a touch of momentum from it. And I thought Duke in overtime looked, um, I, I mean, may you you know, I know some folks out there probably thinking to themselves, oh, they look like a team that usually gets all the calls and didn't get it. Most of these dudes are basically brand new, so I don't think that matters, right? Um, 
But I do think that there's something psychological that happened. I don't know if it's because Filipowski got his got his stuff stuffed by a, a dude who was like seven inches shorter than him. Um, and if you go back, I mean, like that is that is one of the sad parts about the whole aftermath of this game. That is one of the best plays I've ever seen by a Virginia player. Like there, there's really no business for Beekman to do that. Like if that was Ryan Dunn or that's, um, you know, back in the Justin Anderson days or whatever, whoever that guy might be who really rises up and, and blocks a shot like that for that to be Reese Beekman is absolutely absurd. Um, and I mean, we know he's an athletic dude. We know he's got, you know, hops, but like that in that moment, I'll be honest. I did not know Reese had that in the bag. I did not know go up and block a center's, you know, dunk. It was in his was a was a thing that he had in a repertoire. Um, now, granted, I know Filipowski is not like the most uber athletic big in the country, but he's he's still a pretty huge kid, and you know, to to stop his momentum. And I mean, ultimately, let's get into the call. I mean, I've watched it. I don't know how many times. Um, it, I think it's I think it's fair to say that if in that situation a, a a foul is called, you sort of expect it, right? Um, usually the way that works if it's if it's actually clean block and they're going to let it go, is if a guy goes straight up, and there's no like swatting, right? There's no hand motion where you know where the shoulder is engaged, right? What Beekman did is essentially that, except he was just turning, right? And he had a guy from the trail, which I can understand why um, why the official in the baseline, um, Clority, um, why, he, why he thought that that's what probably happened. Um, but in the, in the final analysis, Dave, it, it, you can watch the thing a hundred times. If there's any contact at all, to me at least, it looks minimal. What, what I think you're actually seeing why Filipowski crumbles to the ground is because the force of the block and the fact that he just was not in any way, shape or form because both hands are on the ball. He's not expecting it. He's got no way to sort of brace himself. He just kind of comes back because the block pushes him. And if there's any, maybe there's a little contact on the arm um, where, where Beekman's arm hits his arm, but certainly the block is clean and the guy just kind of falls. And it's not like he got like, you know, clubbed over the head or anything. I mean, the dude, you know, it's a, it's a, this is a play you see sometimes. I think that we, if we want to just talk about the call, the play itself, I think it's a play on in every situation except for the one they were in. And I get why in that situation, most of the time, that's going to get called. In the, yeah. in the yeah. moment, what did you think? Um, Look, I heard a whistle, and what I'm my first reaction was, okay, how much is there? Time left on the clock. Was that the end of the half whistle, um, or was that a foul? And then you saw him making the motion, and I think it was Beekman who waved his hands no first. Um, look, I get it. I don't. I don't think it was a foul. There's there were several plays in the game with that much, you know, with block shots and guys crumbling to the ground that weren't called fouls. Um, you know, there's no way you can analyze this as a Virginia fan and not sound like a homer, right? Um, but the the fact is the ref called something. Um, we never, at least on the broadcast, they never said who the foul was called on. So if it was on Beekman, then the argument is, you know, well, the ref, you know, the ref just didn't have a clear view and 
thought he hit hand when he got got all ball first. Um, you know, very similar block to like what Braxton Key had in the championship game. Just you know, Braxton Key got some hand after that one too. But you get ball first, you're fine. Um, but then you realize, like on watching the replay, maybe they called done because he's close to where you know Filipowski kind of crumbles onto the ground. Um, and that seems to be what they called based on everything I've read before. And I think I texted you guys when they went to the review, like, you know, I knew they can't take off the file. I think the refs did the right thing. I understand why the statement was released. They're not supposed to change their mind on, on, on it being a foul or not. I don't think they did. I think they called it on Beekman. And when they went to the monitor, they're like, all right, we can say we called it on done. And that was after the buzzer and that'll get us out of here. Um, I think they did what you should do with replay, which is, you know, in a end of game situation, end of half situation, whatever it might be, you know, correcting a mistake. Um, but they can't say they did that. And I see why the ACC released the statement. I'm sure I'd be ticked if I was a Duke fan, but look, is what it is. Um, welcome to my last 30 years. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And Ferber, I want you to chime in on this. All right. In the room after the game is we're all standing there talking. Um, at this point, uh, Tony has come and gone. We're, we've waited for Shire. Shire hasn't come. Um, I believe Franklin came and left. Then Shire still hadn't come, so they gave us uh, BVP. And then we're waiting for Shire. And we're talking about it after. And we just had a few minutes where a lot of us are just sort of standing around. And it became clear at that point that the referees had left the building. Um, to say that my fellow media brethren in the room were upset by this rea reality had, is an understatement. I mean, the people were in the, in the room were furious that there was no pool reporter that could talk to the officials um, as expected. But one of the things I said at the time is in, and I still believe this to be true in the arena. They said that they determined that no foul had occurred. Now you can hear that. And you can think that what they did was they went back and just said, no, no, nobody fouled him, right? But the nuance of it, because it's technically the same thing if they go to the review and they see that any contact happened after the block, after zeros, right? That essentially, the, that if there was contact, it was after. So if imagine a scenario where this is not the, um, not the game clock, it's the shot clock, Right. How many times have you seen a game where they're trying to determine if a shot clock violation happened first or something else happened after that, right? And usually in those situations, once the shot clock goes off, whatever happened didn't matter. Now it's a shot clock violation and they go forward. I think at that point, that's where they, and I, and I don't disagree with Dave here, um, but I have a longer rant about humans in general that I, I want to go on at some point. In in your determination, Ferber, in that moment, do you think the ACC did the right thing to to come back and release a statement too, or do you think that they made it much worse to do that? Um, yeah. So I kind of wanted to separate like the UVA piece of this and the officiating piece. Um, so I'll do the officiating piece first. Uh, yeah, they did the right thing because the referees, uh applied the rules inappropriately i mean they just did like you can't do what they did because they like you said if if they're saying um if you're saying that the foul was after zeros it's still a foul because that's what the rules are and apparently these refs either didn't know that or just ignored that um 
And, and that's why the statement exists. Um, especially given like, every, like the fact that it was the last play of the game in regulation. I mean, if it happens with two minutes to go, that maybe there's a statement. I mean, they do these kind of statements a lot, like in football games, especially where it's like they make some sort of miscall. Um, it happens. I think one of the things that needs to change is what you were talking about before. These officials need to be held accountable for what they do, right? Officiating is hard. If it was a, like, if it was, if they called a play on, like you said, I don't think there would be a statement because I don't think they would, that's like a judgment call, right? Like, it's like, all right, I didn't see a foul. Like, maybe there's a statement. I doubt it. It's probably more like, you know, he didn't see a foul. Some people see a foul in their head. Like, you know, that's, that happens on how many plays a game, right? (laughs) All the time. I think the issue here is that they misapplied rules at the monitor, which is, and this is, again, I'm not saying this to say that people can't do the, what about this? What about that? Like compared to the Grayson Allen travel play, right? Both were the last play of the game. Both plays were sort of like, and I mean, UVA fans can say what they want. Like his foot hits the ground as the ball comes out of his. I mean, it's like simultaneous almost. I think it's probably a travel, but it's not like he took three steps and then shot it. Um, that that call is made in real time. You can't go to the monitor. There's nothing you can do about it. It was a bang bang play. It probably got missed, but that's human error, right? And then you have plays where like you know, who's it out on? Is it this team or this team? And sometimes they can review it, and sometimes they can't. Um, I think if there was a play on at the buzzer, and I think that honestly, I I agree. Um, for the most part, I think. I'm not, I mean, I'm not a rule book expert when it comes to the A to B fouls where it's like you knock a guy, like you hit a guy and then you can't land because I, in a lot of situations, that is a foul. UVA benefited from that rule in the final four. Um, and I, I don't know, like I'd have to go back and look at it and read the rules and everything. But I think that's the biggest issue with the officiating piece is that they went to the monitor and then did the wrong thing. And in doing that, like basically, I mean, I'll just say it like outside of like whether it's a foul or not, based on what they called, they do got screwed. Like, I mean, they just did. If this if this happened in reverse, like we would all be like, that was absolutely ridiculous that they changed a foul call. We always talk about this in our text thread. You can't change foul calls like you just can't um, unless you go from like personal yeah. foul to flagrant. Um but at the same time, the UVA piece of this, UVA fans do not have to apologize. They don't have to be like, they don't have to feel bad about it. Like, you know, if they think it's funny, that's fine. Because like, it's not, it's not Reese Beekman's fault that this happened, right? It was a tough game. It could have gone either way. If Kihei Clark's three goes in the possession before, UVA might not have even been in that situation. If they had called a different foul earlier in the game, maybe UVA is not even like you can do like, I don't think there's any reason to feel bad about it or feel like you have to just be like, there's just no foul. Like the play was incorrectly called when it's pretty clearly like, I would probably say it's a play on, but it's, it's at least like worth discussing whether it's a foul or not. I think we can all agree. I I mean, just one thing on that, Justin, like I, the thing I think that adds added confusion to it was, you know, normally when the refs go to the monitor, they'll run over and talk to the TV crew yeah. afterwards. There was no discussion. Yeah. Dickie like, V was like, we're oh, just I guess sitting we're just there and all of a sudden playing. it's like, I guess we're going to overtime. <laughs> so 
you know, if the refs, so the refs had some outs here, right? Like, you know, there's three guys on the court. I think not all three of them called a foul. One of them did. They could, before they went to the monitor, huddle. The other and one said, could have overruled hey, I've, him. I know yeah. that was, that was clean. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't know that that didn't know. I'm not saying it did happen, but because of how it was communicated to, I mean, Brad, you were there. Maybe you can say, hey, we heard it. But, um, you know, as far as on TV, as far as I know, the mo- the refs could have gotten to the monitor and discussed before they even looked that, hey, I didn't have a foul. I think you're wrong. Let's call the foul off and never gone to the monitor. And if they'd done that, then this whole statement wouldn't be necessary. Um, I don't think they did that because we saw them at the monitor. But, yeah, that that's what they did that was correct. I mean, if they, if they could go that, back and redo it, I bet you they would either call the foul and shoot the free throws or just say, play on. <laughs> like, yeah. Now, what the, they the, did was the, they, they go to go the monitor and – what happens is, is he steps back from the monitor and he and he he gives the 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 no symbol right. Yeah, we the heard the arms, crowd on the, the, on the two broadcast. arms out to the side. Yeah. He waves it off, which is why I tweeted he waved it off, and then it's announced that they determined there was no foul. And again, I think that the verbiage used there was 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 it technically correct, but I I firmly I, I mean unless you know Lee Cassell and um um. Clarity and um, Jeffrey Anderson, you know, come to my house and tell me otherwise. Um, but I firmly believe that what happened is they went and they determined that whatever contact happened happened after the buzzer, and therefore it was that they basically they waved it off. Okay, which is yeah. incorrect. Which is incorrect because the the rule book clearly says that in the event in the event of this situation where the ball is in flight, now yeah, you have an airborne shooter too. Yeah, you know, and, like and the Kyle think, Guy rule. Well, I, but I think we do need to. But I do think we need forward, to. I, so. I do think we need to. We need to differentiate here because there's a difference between a player has released a ball and then is fouled after that versus a play on the ball as to whether or not there was additional contact in addition to a block. In the scenario that of Kyle Guy, like that dude didn't come anywhere close to the ball, and the rule specifically states that a jump shooter is allowed to land. So that's yeah, not Filipowski a situation. Never released the ball. It was exactly. released for him. It was re- yeah. exactly. He was the the ball was blocked. And in that scenario, there's a whole bunch of other rules that come into play with you know in terms of um, you know, there's verticality. There's whether or not the ball is held. Is it a jump ball situation? Right. There's also the piece of it as to you know did he get armed? Did he get hand? The the Kyle guy thing happened is is brought into this conversation simply because of the fact of the time. Right, but it has yeah. the, the two plays are not the same, and this and the yeah. and the and the and the totality of circumstances applied to them are not the same. Right, Ferber's right in the sense that they messed it up. I mean, the ball is in flight, but I have seen plenty of people bring up a good point, which is like, and it seems like maybe the rule books actually moot on this, which is like, but what if the ball has been blocked? Right? What if it is no longer in flight? This is not a scenario where the ball has been released, the ball is in the air, and then the player is fouled after zeros. Right? Yeah. The ball, the bl- the ball has been, you know, contacted. Right? The 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 type of play has now changed, and I feel like this is one of those places. And this is the rant I kind of want to go on here. In football, player comes across the middle. They determine it's targeting. They go to review. They not only can wipe out the target and they can wipe out the 15-yard penalty, right? 
they do this all the time. And when they couldn't do this, we all said the same thing, which is they should be allowed to do this. Why can't a referee go to a monitor and say whether or not this was a foul? Oh, please, God, no. <laughs> no, no. And, and no, but, but my, this actually brings in a larger point, which is like there's a human element to this. Okay? Folks, we have tried for years now for reviews to get stuff right. And I swear to God, more often than not, they are still wrong. And I still think the ACC misapplied its statement here because they're trying to tell you, they're trying to tell you that Ryan Dunn committed a foul. Go back and watch that clip, especially that one from the side. Who did he foul? Reese Beekman? Right? If the whole point of the thing is to get the call right, we're not doing that either. So let's just stop. Well, why are we doing this? You want to you want to go to the monitor and review whether or not a ball went out of bounds on somebody? Okay, fine. But every, otherwise, I feel like I'm at that point with reviews. Like Connor O'Neill, who covers uh, Duke and Wake Forest for Rivals, like he's been on this whole like you know abolish reviews thing, and I've always been a big. I mean, we've talked about that on the podcast. I've always been a believer that like there should be somebody who's basically reviewing everything, and just tells the refs, "Hey, Bob, that was a bad call." You know, pick it up, move along, right? But if we're not going to do that, then let's just get rid of reviews. Because in this scenario, the human thing to do would be to go to the monitor and go, oh, snap, this yeah, should not decide the up. game, right. right? And if that's let's just what, let them if that was on. allowed, that, that, then people could freak out about it, but they would be like, at least I understand, like, because exactly. it happens all the time in football, yeah. like with like catches, not catches, you know, catches, whatever. Catches, not catches. I'm I mean, so I'm not tired of that. No, hold on. Let me let me finish. Let me let me get this out of the system. I'm so tired of reviews being seen as like the way to make it right, and they don't do that, right? The reality is is that humans are flawed. They're going to be flawed on uh, live. They're going to be flawed on review. If if they if they're allowed to go to the monitor for anything, they should be allowed to change to basically make right whatever they can make right, and whether or not the ball was in flight shouldn't matter, right? Anybody who watched that play. I think if the role, I mean, look, I can tell you this unequivocally. If the roles are reversed, the game is tied and um, Armand Franklin is going to the hole and some dude blocks his shot and he maybe was fouled and there's, but they're going to go to overtime. I'm not going to be angry that they did or didn't make a call. The only thing that I'm going to be angry about is if they're inept in whatever they decide to do. And I think that's the big issue here, more so than the call. Like, for me at least, is like I, they, I don't disagree they, with that. They bumbled over the rules and in the process made the whole thing worse. For, and I, I really do, I said it in the moment and I still believe it now. Like, I think what Dave said is true. I think they tried to kind of correct themselves off the books, like, and just be like, eh, like, they were we human. probably got this one wrong. And like, we're going to kind of find a way out of it. Like we have an out here because of the, the amount of time that was left. This has nothing to do with the actual call, but I also think it's kind of funny. This is, this is the hottest take. There's a chance if Reese Beekman just isn't there, that Filipowski doesn't get to the rim before the time goes <laughs> off. Yes. Like he literally, if he tried to dunk, like dunking takes a while. Like he easily could have just, the buzzer could have gone off like before he yeah. got there. And that would have been hilarious, like, if that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, look, the ACC statement to me made it way worse than it was. 
Um, yeah, we need if to, they we don't need to entertain release the that statement. Yeah, please do. Please, if, please. If, if yeah. they don't release that statement, Duke fans can be angry, but the question of what they were looking at is not answered. By the ACC releasing that statement and putting Dunn's name in there, it ruined it all. It's like, okay, not only did the refs, okay, we can agree that maybe the refs overstepped. Um, but when they said they were looking at a foul on Dunn, that complicates things because none of us thought of done initially, right? That was an afterthought. So if you go back and one is a pruder, this thing Dunn's contact is way after the block. You know, if anything, it's incidental. So you were talking, when does the shot in? When does this end? Well, essentially it'd be like shooting a layup and then a guy coming for the rebound from the other side after you've released the ball and hit the ground, hits you. That's not a shooting foul. Or, or not That's even hits you, bumps into you. Yes. Yeah. And a foul on the floor after a shot is, I mean, excuse yeah. me, after zeros is not a foul, right? Yeah. And even if it is, they're not in the penalty. Because that we had two fouls to give, which is Correct. what mind blowing me that they even he even got a run to the basket. Um, the ACC really they should have taken more time crafting that statement, <laughs> and you know just say hey the refs may have misapplied a rule or whatever, or just keep your freaking mouth shut because I can never remember a statement being released from the ACC about an officiating decision. Um, yeah, not in basketball. I can't remember one being. I mean, like maybe it's happened in other games, but I don't. I mean, that, that Ferber's right. They do this in football all the time, you know. But to with this, but to have this level of granularity about an end of the game situation, I understand the situation is different. I get that. I mean, this doesn't happen very often, right? But but you know what, man? Like, like but I think we can also like. We're, are we really going to talk about this thing? As if the the fact that they had five extra minutes doesn't matter. Like nobody, and like, I, I tweeted this, but like th- this call did not lose Duke the game, right? They played five extra minutes. They got outscored. They turned it over four times. Like, and UVA closed the last forty seconds on a six nothing run, right? Like, I understand the idea that like if if they call the foul. Filipowski goes to the line. He has two shots. He has to make one to win the game. I, I get that. You're telling me about an if. I'm telling you about what actually happened, right? Which is they played five extra minutes and Duke did win, right? I, I mean, the, the human element of this is to say, hey, this thing was really close. Like it's a, it's essentially like the live action version of a jump ball, right? Like it, it was the live act. Like you played for forty minutes. There was this one play right at the end. We're not really sure exactly how it happened, but it's tied. It's you're tied, right? Like, wouldn't everybody just say, "Hey, let's," you know, like if you're. I mean, think about all the scenarios, all the times that you've been like on playing pickup or whatever, and somebody call foul, whatever. And you're like, "Hey, let's just run it back," right? Like that happens all the time. Like the human element of this is to say, like, okay, we'll take it overtime. Now I get now I'm not trying to advocate that the standard rule of the ACC is that everybody just goes. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, you're talking to me if you're if you're saying the dude got robbed or whatever, like the kid still had to go to the line. By the way, he was O of two at the line. He didn't make anything he shot the other day, right? Maybe he does go. Maybe he maybe he goes to the line and he makes them. Maybe he makes them both. But you don't know that that's what happened. What you do know what happened is that then both teams played five extra minutes and UVA outscored them eleven to four. I mean, what are we talking? What are we doing here, right? 
This is not a scenario where a, pl a, a play happened, there was official review, and that was it, right? It, the game did not end on this. And I, I, I'm, I'm be honest, on some level, if those dudes went to the monitor, looked at it and went, man, this is really close, and they did try to do the, what was the way you guys phrased it earlier? Just sort of like backdoor their way off the books or whatever. Um, if that's what they did, hey, you know what? That's fine. I mean, if that's the way it had to go, I mean, that's the way it had to go. I just, I, I guess, again, roles are reversed. I, I, I would much rather the ACC have not released a statement and just left it be what it, it was versus trying to relitigate it and set up a scenario because if you're going to do all that, then just take the win away, right? Because that's essentially what you're tr what you're essentially doing in the court of public opinion is you're taking the win away. You're making the whole thing illegitimate anyway. So just take it away, right? Because if you're not if you're not prepared to do that, then you should have done the other thing either, right? Because that's essentially what they're doing. And I genuinely do believe in my heart of hearts that had this been Virginia and Boston College, there would have been zero public outcry among. And I'm not one of these people who thinks this, but this is really hard to just gloss over. Like, I think the ACC felt like they were the laughing stock of college basketball that night. And I feel like that pressure is just enough to tip them in the standpoint of some, whoever thought, hey, we should put out a statement. That's part of what was in play. I'm not saying it was the, it was not the reason, but I'm saying it was definitely in play. Because national media types were absolutely 100% all over this. Like, oh my God, can you believe what the ACC did tonight? And I feel like the ACC felt like they needed to do this to sort of, I don't know, own some, you know, part of it or whatever. To sort of, and all I think all they did was add to it. I think they only made the bad situation slightly worse. And Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I spent like 30 seconds after the after the game worried about that call. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, well, that sucks for Duke. And then the statement came, and I was like, oh, crap. You know, they just kept their mouth shut. The Super Bowls tomorrow, everyone would have forgotten. Um, See, but here's the on. thing. This is the thing to me, though, is like, who cares? Like, why? Like, I'm not going to get worked up about it from the standpoint of, like, how people feel about the win. Like, who cares? It counts. They're not yeah. taking it away. <laughs> like, they got it. And they earned it in overtime. I mean, like, yes. it's a good win. And nobody's going to care about this in five days. Like, it's not like it's we just, moved up a seed line because we beat yeah, Duke. It, it's <laughs> yeah, gonna be a, it's just going to be another, like, a good win over Duke. People will remember the call, but they'll also remember that UVA won. Like, UVA fans, I mean, like, you don't have to feel like you have to prove something to the world because of this. Like, you know, like, the, and, and also, I don't think, like, you know, feeling bad for Duke is something people have to do either. Like, but I also think, like, in fairness, like, people are like, Shire's a crybaby. And I'm like, I think Tony would probably be doing the same thing. <laughs> like, if, well, they, I, if look, they came out and uh, admitted that they got the wrong call, I think he would be like, well, I'm disappointed in that. <laughs> yeah, like, I will I say this. I think he would just I, be like, well, that's that's how it goes. Like, I will say this. John Shire, not exactly my favorite player. And I was a little bit perplexed when 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 duke decided to choose him as the heir apparent his entire post-game presser um considering the fact that he didn't have that extra information i thought he was 
I thought he was really good. I genuinely, I mean, like, I, folks who, if you haven't, and seen I mean, it, a go, lot of coaches probably would have absolutely lost it in the lost moment. their minds. And I like, thought he did a really good job. And lost the game. <laughs> yeah, I thought he did a really good job in post game of being like, "Look, this sucks. I, I hate it for my kids that we lost this game." He did not focus on the. He wanted. He just all he would say about the play itself is like, "I just wanted some clarification as to what happened." Right. Nobody came and told yeah, me. See, what and happened. that's the thing that bothers me is that like if everybody feels that they didn't get it. And I think Tony said the same thing, right? Yeah, like, Tony he did. didn't really yeah. know what happened. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, that should not be. And yeah. the reason I'm saying it isn't because like I feel bad that UVA won the game. It's because this could happen to Virginia in the next game. Exactly. Like, that, that's that's the problem. It's a systemic officiating issue, not like, a oh, well, we should feel bad. We won this game issue. Yeah, that's and, my and, whole and point. That's a good Where point. was the communication? And so, Brett, in this in the stadium, did they announce who the foul was on? They never. They I don't believe they ever actually said who. Yeah, because I think they kind of went straight to the monitor almost. Like because I went, never saw the ref put up a number or anything yeah. else. I you know I saw him so, walk over, and Tony is and and you know the UVA bench is obviously losing it and the Duke bench is cheering. And as I remember it, all of them were there pretty quick. I don't remember any signal. Um, I don't they remember, and, and certainly, 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 I didn't hear at least you know in my recollection of it. Um, I didn't hear a number. All I know is is that they waved it off, and then the the PA guy said, "The referee, I you know, I think I think this is the. I'm not gonna don't quote me on this, but this is the gist: is that the referees have determined that there was no foul on the play. Now with again, the, with the insinuation being because it was after the whistle, or right? Whatever. Well, I mean, I assume you can't right? overturn a call, right? right? Right, but I, but in the moment, you can if if they confer and say, "Hey, no." Yeah, foul. but they they looked he at the monitor. Yeah, like that's two true. Minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I think that's ultimately that's part of where this thing got off the rails. Because if if all they did was go and talk, and then they said no foul, we're we're all cool in the gang, right? If they go to the monitor and they say that they've determined that the that that the, the um that it was a non-shooting foul that occurred after zeros. Therefore, um, the game, the regulation is over. We go to overtime. If they had said that, I think we're all good. Right? Oh, yeah, 100%. The, the problem is is that they didn't say, and, and to your points, and I think this sort of underscores what I think has been like system. I mean, I feel like all officials nowadays are just terrible. Like I feel like every game I watch, I'm like, what are they doing? And I feel like this is across multiple sports at multiple levels. I just... And I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't. Um, I, I genuinely do you want don't. A, to fix it. Do you want a sporting goods store's owner answer on that? Um, youth parents. If you want better rest, they got to start yeah. when they're young. Yeah, they're I mean, it, there's no young. fix for That's this in why. basketball because you can't have robot umpires for like this. Like it just and doesn't it, work that way for yeah, basketball. No, it's just annoying because look, in this whole game, like like I said, Virginia beat Duke playing absolutely terrible right they missed what 13 free throws yeah. if virginia just shoots like 75 percent from the lawn and makes one more three like you know he would have dunked at the end because virginia would have been up by 15 and it wouldn't matter right. almost. yeah um so that's the frustrating part and that's probably why shire didn't point like you know virginia dominated that game and everything except the scoreboard um and even in overtime could have probably won by 10 or 15 but missed a couple free throws. To yeah, it's funny it too, though. Like you go back and watch it, they were up by one with forty seconds left in overtime. Like yeah. they easily UVA could have easily lost in overtime too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think the weird Which, thing to Brad's too, point, they played after the foul. So I, I, yeah. look, and and I, and I understand that. Like 
Because like I had these Carolina fans in my mind being like, oh, you you know, you're making me defend Duke. I'm like, nah, man, you're doing that yourself. Like nobody's making. I you will do say anything. this. I will say this too. If Duke had won in overtime, I don't know that this is a thing. I, at one, and that's the thing. Okay, so that. Thank you for saying that because that has also been on my it mind. It doesn't mean the officials should be off the hook. No, but agreed. It, like, at the same time, it is one hundred percent not a thing because they would have been like, "Man, that's crazy that we had to, you know what, that, you know, we did this and then we had to come back and do it again, right?" Like, and if that, the ACC had released a statement, nobody would care because they would remember, just be like, "Okay, like whatever." What was that game that Mike <laughs> had? Mike's team had against Florida State and they had to win it like three times. Do you remember that? There was like three different plays, you know, kicks and I don't, I don't remember the y'all y'all are much better at the like remembering the specific scenario and all of the different things. But there was that one year they were playing Florida State and it's like they had to oh, win yeah, it like three yeah, different yeah. times because there was like right? a timeout and there was a penalty and then there was all kind of, and then they they tried to kick it but there was like a false start. The, um, and and I, I'm just saying that like in all of these situations where some weirdness happened, I never got a statement from the ACC from them, you know, and I. And I, Ferber's point about like you don't have to feel bad that your team won is completely spot on. But I also think it's somewhat like for anybody who is like, I don't know, um, like it, you think about like people who like are, are subscribers to our website, right? Who pay attention like to recruiting or whatever. Like the idea that like you're not going to be mindful of like what everybody says is a little bit hard, especially yeah. in the year of our Lord yeah. 2023, right? And this would be way worse if it was like in the Final Four. And honestly, UVA has already seen that with the Ty Jerome double dribble, whatever. Which is exactly where I was going, which is like even now, I will still randomly get Auburn people in my mentions being like, yeah, well, he double dribbled, you know? And I, I do think that when we talked before about like, you remember there was that phase of time where like, you know, Virginia fans, I think for a lot, for, you know, in large part, a lot of folks, a lot of them thought that like they had to like cape up because you had to like defend, exactly. uh, you know, they're going to the Zapruder film to see how long the inbounds pass took. And it's like, okay, yeah, they still and, do. And they and still that's, do. That's like, and, 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 and on some level I get it because this type of stuff, it, it it's I mean like I had people telling me the other night like oh you know this is a um you know this is just further example of like why UVA is ruining this and that and it's like wow you know <laughs> and I'm not saying that you should base anything you do think or don't think on like what the internet tells you but I'm saying like you're human and these are humans that are coming at you and I get it uh, but I I think Ferber's point though is 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 the right one which is like they're they're not going to take the win away from you you know when you look at Kim Palm. And you're trying to figure out like where Virginia is going to be seated and stuff. It's still going to show as a win. And in the future, yeah, like the people, do UVA fans really care? I mean, like people probably care, but like, do they? Does it really like change your opinion of the national championship that Auburn? Some Auburn fans don't like that. No, call? I do. I don't think so. Yeah. But I do think that folks yeah. get tired of having to defend something that is like a quintessential don't. moment in their fandom. Yeah, that's don't. yeah. I mean, look, we were we've all Virginia guys. Like we've watched Virginia for our whole life. Um, you know, Duke and, you know, Carolina, especially under Dean Smith, and then obviously under Roy Williams and, and others uh, since then ha have benefited from Carolina refs and, you know, Duke's gotten their calls. And we've all criticized, and there's been games where it's clear, right, this shouldn't have been a call. I mean, we've been mad about it. Like, but does it change the fact they won all that stuff? No. Does it, does it make you not envious of their results? No. So what, what Virginia fans need to do is, Stick your chest out. Just let them say it. Let it bounce off of you. 
point to the banner. That's true. The know? best thing you can do is not <laughs> care. Like, that's very true. Yeah, the and it's also not like UVA not did something <laughs> underhanded to make this happen. It's like they, yeah, they nobody just paid... happened to be the team that was playing when this happened. My favorite um, was the was the guy. I I don't know who he was from. He was somebody that was like bringing up some other referee who lives in Virginia Beach or whatever. And I'm like, that dude wasn't even on the at the game. Like, what are we doing, man? Oh, I think yeah, that's I think the that's thing too. Is like working the game, right? I think. Well, I think one other like piece of this too. It's not really that important. Um, but there's, you know, UVA fans have always, like my entire life, have said, like, Duke refs, Carolina refs. There is certainly some truth to that. I think those teams do get calls, especially for Duke at home. I mean, I think that's that's where it's that's where you feel like you're up against it, I feel like, the most, is when you're at Cameron. It feels, yeah, and- it feels like it's officiated differently there. Having said that, I think we can now say that it's not unequivocal that they get all the calls No, and <laughs> what happened in this situation. And yeah. I also saw Matt Norlander say that this is now officially Tony Bennett's league. Yeah, <laughs> that's my point. Like, I don't maybe in retrospect, you know, having never had a coach after Terry Holland that could put together 15 years of, you know, 10 to 15 years of great play. Um, you're going to get calls because the refs have seen you so much they know your style so if your team guards tightly right if they hedge that screen all the time and you you've seen it 50 times as a referee over the what 14 years Bennett's been here you're going to your eye is used to seeing it you're not going to blow the whistle every time they do it um and that's why I think it was a little weird um god what game was that recently they were calling all the fouls not the Duke game um Shoot, which game was that? The Virginia Tech game? There was one where they called, like, there were so many fouls called. The for Tech stuff game, there were Virginia no calls. Does. There was, like, God, no fouls. The but, yeah, there was a game where both teams were, like, in the double bonus in the first half. I can't remember what Yeah, and it's, it's stuff Virginia always does. You know, I think even us, like, I mean, look, I, I'm at a point with Virginia basketball where I don't get really nervous during games until you get to, like, late March, early April. Um unless it's Duke, I guess, when they're good. But the – like, I can I can tell you when it's – like, that's clearly a foul. Like, I don't even argue a lot of the foul calls in Virginia because they play such good defense. When they make a mistake, it's obvious, right? So, I don't know. It's – this whole thing just hasn't bothered me to the extent – like, I, I'll get – I'll be off Twitter because busy, whatever, get on Twitter in the evening. I'm like, why are people still talking about this thing? And – but here I am on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think I it was it. It, it was it was a nice it was almost a nice wrinkle in the season just to give us something different to talk about. <laughs> it's nice to have this talk about this in a win because I feel like the tenor of this conversation would be very different if they had lost and the same play had been reversed. Um, yeah. Can we have a discussion about like I don't I don't want to turn this into a huge discussion, but I don't quite understand what's going on at the free throw line with this team. That was no. really weird. I mean, that um, was like talk you're, about you're you're long. Yeah. You know, well, they they twelfth in the ACC in free throw shooting. Yeah, they've had these games where I mean, what's wild is like JMU game was like this too, right? Or Florida State? They're nineteen of twenty four against NC State. They're nine of yeah. twenty two. I mean, that's a lot of that, that's just a significant difference. Um, it's between the ears. I mean, that's what it is. Well, like, once you start missing them, you keep missing them. Like, so yeah, definitely did, dudes had the yips. It's like putting. So, so you know, obviously you're going to get Jaden Gardner's going to get a lot of free throws. Um, so I went and looked. You know, Kihei shooting around almost seventy six percent on the year, which is the second worst of any of his five seasons. Um, 
Franklin shooting just under 70%. I think his he's been up near in the high 70s a couple seasons, but he shot 61% as a freshman in Indiana. Reese Beekman's having his career best year at 82.3. Um, and then Shedrick is having his career best at 79.6. So all that says, like, oh, okay, that's all right. But then you got BVP who's shooting 58.7, the worst of his career. And what's weird is he, he felt like he missed that. 10 free throws the other night. Yeah. He shot like 59% as a freshman at Ohio, but then he shot like 74, 73. So it was really weird for him to regress. And then Jaden's at his worst at 65. So a lot of it's on, you know, those two guys are getting a lot of volume, but um, it doesn't just feel like it's the misses to me, though. It feels like when they're missing is the part of the problem. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not just like ends, uh, they missed in of, the first yeah. half. It's a lot. The front ends are super costly. If and there's been a lot it. of three point plays that they could have had that aren't there yeah. because they missed the free throw. Like, I feel like I type and one a lot and then they miss a free throw. Like, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. as I'm typing and one, I hear the crowd. Oh. I, who was the player, Brad? We used to always joke. It was like if he made the first one, he was missing the second one. And if he missed the first one, he was I think it was Anthony Gill. <laughs> Was it yeah, Ryan AG, AG was bad like that. And it was no, like, it, no, it, AG he missed the like first one. You were automatic. like, he's going to make this one. Like, he'll make this one. Was, yeah, he was automatic. He if he time. missed, yeah, it, it happened every, it felt like it happened every time. I mean, I'm sure every Not, once in a while yeah. he'd go and ma- make both of them, but yeah. yeah. It's weird, though. Um, that game, yeah, I mean, no, like, BVP like, literally was laughing after he made the one in overtime or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, I think he made two in a row, like the first possession of overtime. But, you know, BVP, I, I don't think it's just his free throws. Uh, you know, his, his shooting overall the last few games has been down. It's been covered up. By well, I, I think it also, but. too, he's gone from playing, you know, 20, 22 minutes, you know, or whatever it was before he start. you know, he was a starter. To, I mean, now he's pulling, you know, even, you know, he's, pulling, he's probably playing, what, 10 more minutes a game, eight more minutes yeah. a game, something like I that? I did feel like the team was kind of tight yesterday a little or on saturday a little bit like you talk about the bvp like that's probably one of the biggest games he's ever played in yeah um, i thought you know it's funny because like i feel i feel like in these games well it's not just in the big games but i feel like lately it's like one or two guys are loose and everybody else is a little tight and it's a question Mm -hmm. of like can they put those two guys in the right situations to essentially make plays that loosen the other dudes up right like that was the thing i think that happened in the nc state game Right, which is like that was not Kihei's best game, and it wasn't Armand Franklin's best game. But Gardner was hitting, Beekman was scoring, Shedrick had come off the bench, and everything was fine. You know what I mean? There's definitely a collective yeah. sort of, I, and I and and I don't know. I, I I feel like if I drill into this, it'll be something. But like these guys are designed, like mentally, emotionally, and now you know in terms of the way they fit physically on the floor, like. They're designed to try to find the best shot, the best play, right? And they, they, you know, we talk about ball movement, and there definitely have been times this season where it's like the ball is just flying all over the place, and it's great. They're very good at, you know, running up gaudy assist numbers. Um, Their assist to field goal ratio is absurd, right? Um, But, like, I feel like on some level, and it just, I don't know, maybe this doesn't make any, any sense outside of my head, but it makes sense to me that, like, part of their, part of, their own success as a team is driven by other players' success. And I'm not saying necessarily because, I mean, they have moments where they kind of wait for other dudes to make a play. Um, but but it certainly feels like on some level, like they are impacted by each other in a way that I don't think many teams are. 
And like, if you pull that yeah. thread and you think about it, like they're so you like a lot of what they do, a lot of the positives that come is because somebody else did something good too, right? So somebody made a great pass. Somebody, you know, there's obviously help defense and everything that comes with that. Um, somebody moved the ball to the place where it needed to go. Somebody, so basically, somebody got the hockey assist or whatever. And I and what's weird is that like they do seem to have a little bit of like a hive mind almost in the sense like or at least like emotionally because like your point about the like the point about the uh, free throw like that doesn't make any sense right but it's completely the truth like you watch the game you can just see it right that they are they're sort of all impacted by the fact that they're not shooting free throws very well and that has happened several times this year we're like oh snap it's going to be one of those games and they all do and it's like the dudes who you can bank on to be good at the line are all of a sudden terrible right in that in against duke Kihei's one of three. Armand is two of five. Vanderplas is five of eleven. Uh, McNeely was zero of one. Shedrick was one for two. Um, you know, it, it's weird that it, it's weird that they're like that. But it, there's, I, I just feel like there's something there, right? There's some think, sort of though, emotional yeah, drift I, that's happening. Yeah, I think you're right, but I don't think that's a this Virginia team thing. I think that's a UVA under Tony Bennett thing. We've just never um, seen it manifest itself like in like this, right? Because typically, I think speaking, we have. I mean, well, I think you've seen look, it. You've seen the it, 2000, like, no. Let, let's go like so. The team that got smoked by yeah, the two four, 2014 team did that team not have this? I mean, they got smoked by Tennessee because a couple guys were having a bad game and the whole team had a terrible game. Then they all came together, had that great run. Um, and then obviously at the end of the Syracuse game, we know what happened, right? Um, and then you go to other years where it, it just happens. And I think that's – if you're right, it, it's this thing. But is that – I guess my point is, is that thing because Virginia tends to have – what makes them great is kind of being greater than the sum of their parts. Um, so Well, I mean, that's a good that, – that's a fair point because in the championship it, team was probably the – like the you know, I know this – I hate – you know, people hate. Is, I know what you can go with this, but that same championship team was only missing one dude and lost to UMBC. Right, right, but they, but, but the, but the experience of losing to NBC, UMBC changed the, that yeah, specific group the next year. But, uh, so, but I'm saying, so, like, if you could just go to that UMBC game without that one piece, they weren't the same. Well, so okay, you know, and obviously he wasn't I, I there think, the whole game. No, no, but, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you there, but I'm saying that yeah. like by the time they got to the championship season, they did have the UMBC experience, and I think one of the things those dudes, especially Kyle and, and Ty, took away is that like they have to be good no matter what. Like it, they can't, and like if you think about the work they put in and the way that like there was a lot of conversation about watching dudes waiting for other people to make a play. Mm -hmm. That that championship season, dudes just made plays, it, right? Yeah, that's so true. that's how they were able to get themselves jump started when they weren't playing very well against Gardner Webb. That's how they were able to keep pace with Purdue, even though Carson Edwards had a freaking flamethrower on his arm, right? Yeah, don't I, forget, I, Kyle Guy was like terrible until what second half of the yeah, Oregon he game. He, yeah, he clicked uh -huh. it. Yeah, he clicked it into place. I, I think you're maybe you're onto something there. I, I do think that that group that that season, right, because of things they have been through, and also because of just the way you know, their own individual games meshed um, and certain points of their careers. Like, I think that they were, they were able to, to withstand those, those bits. But I think you're probably right. Like we've always, we've always talked on the show, right. About how some groups get their energy from their defense. And when they, you know, they, when they, um, you know, when they're especially dialed in on defense, their offense follows and vice versa. 
right? Well, what is that essentially the, the, the base core of that is like that connection, right? That guys being connected to each other and um, whether it's whether it manifests itself in assists, whether it manifests itself in like, oh, the defense is really good because guys are anticipating where each other go. Like, I'm not saying that UVA was re- is recruiting too many dudes with empathy, right? But it, like, it does kind of feel like they do move as one group. And so, like, yeah. in a game like this, what you would really like is that you've got a couple of dudes. And that's something we've lamented at times this season, right? Which is like, night to night, you're not really sure exactly what you're going to get from this guy night to night to night to night. You know well, you, you're you going to get... You just said it. I mean, you said, like, in the championship run, like, Kyle, Ty, those guys, like, they were like, I have to be good every night. Like, I don't think you have a guy on this team that's, like, goes into a game and is like, if I don't play really well, we can't win. Yeah, that's like, very fair. That's a because, really good point. Because, and Tony, I mean, Tony's on record saying it earlier in the season. He said this is the most, like, teamy team he's had here, where it's like there isn't a guy. Yeah. That's like, and, the, and that's not sh- no shade to like Reese right. Beekman or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, no, no, that's understandable. If, if Reese Beekman has like six points or and like five rebounds, like I, I wouldn't just take that piece of information and be like, oh, they're screwed. Like, you know, or, you know, if he has 25 points, I wouldn't just be like, oh, they won by 20. Like, you yeah. know, I'd say the thing to me that makes this team different um, is at this point in the season, I feel pretty confident that two guards are going to give us a good night. Right. You're it might sure be a different like, two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but it, you're between Reese and Kihei and Armand and Isaac Manili, you're going to get enough play from that position to hold your own. Yeah. The question has been, which of the BVP, Jaden Gardner, Ryan Dunn, Caden Shedrick, and even Caffaro piece, you, you need like two of them to be on for the team to be really good. And there hasn't, there's nights where there's only one. Yeah, that's or, fair. Yeah. And I think that might be the difference. Um, and going, you know, comparing it to the championship team, I think the, the, you know, having recently over the past couple of months gone back and watched a lot of that stuff for the, for the endorphins. Um, it's, uh, I think the, the thing we all forget about that team is just how good Mamadi was. Yeah. That whole run. And then you had Jack Salt and Jay Huff at times. And that's in that run, you didn't have to worry about the bigs there. And between all the, between all the guards, you, that yeah. was kind of a perfect storm. There's just, it's like, we, we basically between no offense to any of them, but between Caden and JG and BVP, um, you're basically trying to create one and a half good big men, if not two out of those three every night. Well, I saw somebody talking about this the other day and I'm, I'm curious, I don't know. I kind of want to drill into it. Um, like research a little bit, but like, if you look at Beekman's numbers, he's just in like an absurd sort of, um, analytical space. But then if you think about it, like how much is he buoyed by the fact that Clark has, you know, played, you know, so well, um, at, in, you know, so many places a season, his assist numbers are just kind of absurd. Right. Um, so for example, like in this game, Armand Franklin scores 23 points, nine of 13 from the field, three of five from three. He made three of UVA's four three pointers, right. Uh, hit the, the biggest shot of the game late to, to, to basically, I don't want to say put it away, but to, to, to sort of essentially put it in a place where it could be put away. And yet he was two of five from the from the line. But anyway, in the game before that, he was zero of five from the floor. He scored two points. Right, that is like that is a dramatic shift from one game at home on a Tuesday night 
to the next game at home on a Saturday afternoon. Like, that's not what you would normally expect to see, right? Now, granted, Filipowski didn't score, and he usually scores like, what, 15, 18 at a clip or whatever his, his, his average is. I just think that Virginia has had a lot of moments this season where, like, you could look at the stat sheet and you could just look at the numbers and you're not sure what names are attached to them other than, like, oh, yeah, because, you know, Shedrick's not going to be uh, three of five from three, right? But, like, from points and, and, and you know, just raw numbers from the field, I mean, in this game um, against NC State that they won on Tuesday night, Gardner's 18 points on 6 of 12. Beekman, 15 points on 6 of 11, right? Gardner was 6 of 6 from the line. It's very strange to then see, you know, 6 points on 3 of 5. He doesn't even get to the stripe. It's just a very – this team has has weird sort of – it's like the the whole, like, different guys, different nights thing, but, like, in, like, bizarro world, right? Where it's like you can't even – other than the fact that you assume that Kihei Clark is going to have a bunch of assists, right? I don't think Kihei has had a game where he hasn't had, like, any. Right. Usually he's going to have five or six. Uh, in this game, Beekman had seven. Um, UVA had 16 uh, assists on 28 made baskets. And that's a low number for them. Right. It's just, you know, this whole thing we're getting into is it's it's kind of eerie. And it's hard. It's one of those weird things because, like, you, you can't really put your finger on it, but you kind of know it when you see it. Um, and I think it's very fair to say that, like, this is, you know, like Tony said, like that the most teamy team. Um, but not necessarily, I mean, there have definitely been groups I felt like who were closer, like off the court, you know, like, I'm not saying that these guys aren't close. I'm yeah. Just I think like, you just meant more like from a different guys, different. Right. Guys, yeah. Yeah. Like and this is, and that is collective effort. Thing. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you watch these dudes on the floor and they are really tied to each other. You know, like one guy, how one guy is playing impacts how the other guy's playing. And I don't mean just. It's it's both like it's weirdly like both like an energy thing and like a um and by that I mean like emotional sort of energy, right? But it's also like like dudes tend to execute better when other dudes are executing better, which is not the way this usually works. Like execution is the thing you just do it, you know. Um, you know, Gardner's hitting that little fall away, and next thing you know, three pointers start falling. That doesn't make any sense. Like that's not the way this thing should work, and it's not the way it typically works for other teams. No, it's weird. Like, I mean, here, I'll give you guys a little quiz because I've got it pulled up. Um, name this player. We have so we've played 21 games this year, if I remember correctly. Um, this player has nine games making one or fewer field goals, six games making four or more, and one, two, three games with seven or oh, with six or more made field goals. That sounds like Armand. BVP. It's BVP. Like yeah. it, it's like he had a, you know, we 0 for 7 and 7 for 13 and 1 for 4, 1 for 3, 1 for 4, 2 for 7, 6 for 10, 6 yeah. for 11. The number of uh, six field goal games, I was like, well, it's either Armand or BVP. And BVP, <laughs> yeah. I think Armand didn't have that many like 1 for 0 first. <laughs> um, yeah. Though he yeah. did have that two point game or whatever the other night. Yeah. It's just, you know, he's. Like I get it, like, but I don't mean to pick on him, but I seem like I do every week, so I guess I do mean to. <laughs> but I, I think he's just because he's made some great plays. He's had some huge passes, and you know, I think it speaks to what I was saying. Like this team doesn't have a dominant four or five, and they're trying to piece it together with multiple guys. Um, 
that said, like, boy, our record's not too bad for as bad as we made ourselves seem. <laughs> I was going to say, if you, you, you listen to us long enough, you wonder why Virginia's on this losing streak. Yeah, um, is going to suck. I think our, the team's good. I think it's just one of those things where it's like, if you have those those issues, once you get, the not to say the first round's a gimme, but like, once you get past the first round, like, every team, you know, the te- look at the teams they've lost to. Pretty much everybody outside of Virginia Tech that they've lost to has been a second weekend of the tournament ish yeah. team. Yeah. Like, and it's like every team you're going to play at that point is that good. So like, you know, you, you kind of have been in those kind of games and like, if you can't get any production from the front court, it can be tricky. I do think if they've done anything in this last, what third of the season um, is they, they brought their floor up a little bit, I think, you know, by playing better defense. I agree with that. You know, they they can they can suffer these little droughts they get offensively. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like any um, not any other UVA team, but in most years, if they played the way they did against Duke in the first half, they uh, would have been down like fourteen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then they would have clawed their way back to four, but then that wouldn't have been enough. You know? Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Dave, because I feel like maybe they haven't necessarily extended the ceiling, but the floor is definitely up. Like what they're going to be on a night to night basis, even though. Even though we don't stop, even though we don't necessarily know who it's going to come from, we know it's going to happen. You know, I, I think that's the that's been the example that this team has is sort of um, hammered home, which is like you might not know which dude is going to go seven of ten and which guy is going to go two of seven, but you know what? Some dudes are going to do that. You know what I mean? Um, I want to. I want to. A really interesting NCAA tournament because yeah. home court advantage. I've got to go do the research, but it feels like home court advantage this year nationwide is just so big. Um, I mean, I guess some of that speaks to super seniors and all this yeah. stuff and transfer portals and new teams. But you put everyone on the neutral floor. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who's the best team. Yeah, yeah. you'll. I think this is a this is a year where you'll probably have. I think you'll probably have like a random team make a run because there's no like dominant. There's not like oh, there's four dominant teams. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, Purdue lost to Northwestern. Yeah, like, that's true. Alabama um, lost to Oklahoma by like thirty. Like, yeah, I mean, and, and those are two really good teams. Virginia lost to Virginia Tech. Yeah, right. And who, who's um, number one? Who's number one in the country right now? Alabama. Yeah, that's wild. And they right? lost to Oklahoma by thirty, like two weeks ago. <laughs> no, it's no, crazy. But I, yeah, and I think for UVA, it's that's true too. I mean, I think like the variance in how they could do. I mean, you talked about ceiling floor. Obviously, the floor right now is the first round because they're going to make the tournament. So, unless something yeah. crazy happens, so like. You know, losing the first round is the floor, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you can consider like running towards the ACC title and all that stuff. Like, but the ceiling is for this team. Does anybody doubt that the ceiling is like Final Four national championship? I don't know about national championship, but Final I think it would four be hard sure. to win six. But I think they could make the Final Four well, just because you know, like okay. look around oh, at who they could play. Sure. Like so, I mean, right. they could they well, could easily make it. Well, let's weird do to me this. this team. Sorry, Brent. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, let's do this, though. Don't think about it from the standpoint of like who they would play. Think about it from the standpoint of, like, in normal situations, right, to win those six games, you need to be extremely consistent. Like, the like three dudes need to do something extremely consistent. You have to have, like, a fourth dude who steps up and does something with some consistency. The weird thing about this team is that all of the inconsistency we just talked about, the fact that they've they've increased – 
you know, they've, they've raised the floor. Like, the fact that they don't necessarily need the same dude to do the same thing six games, really what they need is, like, three of their dudes to do. And, like, they're very good at basically figuring out each night who these dudes are going to be. In some ways, that sort of lends itself to being able to make a run and be random as hell in the process, right? Because are you, would you really be shocked to see, like, the flip-flopping in game-to-game, depending on matchup, of of these numbers, right? To, to see one night Armand Franklin, you know, one weekend Armand scores 25, and the next weekend he scores six, you know, on, in, in the first game of the, of, the, of the two, right? Because they have such fluctuation between who does what. And they clearly have enough pieces and enough experience to sort of match up well against teams to, to, regardless. I mean, the fact that they got Duke out of its post looks and had made Duke go small, I mean, that's the first time I can remember Tony really being able to lean on what he thought was his strength and make the other team adjust to him and essentially take talent off the floor. Not saying that necessarily that like Duke didn't have talent to put back, but like Derek Lively played 11 minutes in this game, right? Okay, yeah, he had three fouls. In the second half, he played four minutes. He did not see the floor in overtime. He was the number one player in the country. He's 7-1 and he moves like a guard. Like he's a very athletic big. Virginia's killing him inside. Virginia had 42 points in the paint and Derek Lively can't see the floor? Like, I know John Shire's a first-year coach, but that, that no, he made that decision because he needed to go small. Like, yeah, your point is well taken. Like, it does take a lot to to win those those six, but, man, like, when you got a roster that is as good as being a chameleon as this one is, maybe that's exactly what you need. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things, too, where, like, obviously upsets happen, but, like, the team that won the title, I think we all went in thinking, like, the, the Final Four is the goal. Like, you could lose before that, but, like, they, sh- they should at least make it to, like, the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and then see what happens. And obviously yeah, it worked out. That's fair. This year, I don't have that goal right now, right? It's that's like, fair. It's like you hope they get through the first weekend. That would be great. <laughs> but you don't know that they will. But you I also, would. like, they could easily get to this, uh, you know, the Sweet 16, you know, and you talk about matchups. Like, you know, you win your first two games. Like, you have to, you're probably going to have to survive some sort of scare. Yeah. You know, there's going to be like a one point game in there. They're going to have to play, make a play down the stretch or, or stop a play. And then, you know, you, you hope that there is some luck in it. Like, you know, you, the national title run, it's like they, they got a 12 seed in the sweet 16 and Oregon was playing well, but like they're a 12 seed, like, you know, normally you're not that lucky. Um, and you barely won that game too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that Oregon team was really weird. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, maybe you get to the sweet 16 and you're playing a seven seed and then you get through that one and then you're a game away from the final four. And this team, like, I wouldn't be surprised if like we look up and they're in the final four, just based on like what the rest of the country looks like, you know, too. Yeah. Um, Well, here's the thing though, the whole, the, the free throw issue we just talking about, if like, you're talking to, what is it going to be? 80 some thousand people in Houston or whatever, when they play the national championship game. (laughs) Like that would be the that would be the game they go like seven of twenty four from the line, right? Everybody's got the yips, um, because I mean that's a that's a that's a that's a much different you know sort of scenario. But yeah, it's weird. It's like this team, like yeah, you're right. Like you want to get out of that first weekend, but then you're also like, but dude, they could absolutely like it, especially this year because there doesn't seem to be 
you know, any sort of dominant, consistent, like, yeah, you can throw it into the kid from Purdue and he's probably going to score, but what else are the dudes around him going to do? Right. Um, you know, you're, you're, you know, Alabama's no more in the country three weeks ago, they get boat raced. Right. Um, they're... Yeah, it's like that's the thing is like UVA could just have like that. I think that's what makes the floor a little bit or maybe the ceiling higher is like. I think I feel pretty good about UVA against like the teams that are going to be in the bottom half of the bracket, like the lower seeds. I, I mean, I don't I could see them losing in the first round or something like that if they just have a terrible night. But like right. anybody could that could happen to anybody. But I feel like this team's good enough. They have enough options to where they can get through that game. And I feel, honestly, I'm just as worried about like the teams that are at the same seat as them that, and the teams above. But because I think like if they got to the elite eight, I don't think there's a team where, you, where they would line up and you'd be like, well, they can't win this one unless something right. really goes well. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like they could. Yeah, beat there's anybody. no, there's no like Gonzaga um, to just you know, or like a Kentucky from them. 2015 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's know, just like, that, that matchup isn't there. Look, we're we, we're running long, so let me let me wrap up on this, just to put the the Duke game to bed. Uh, Ferber says that nobody's going to care about this in five days. Um, Dave, <laughs> Dave, do you think that nobody's going to care about this in five days? I didn't care about this in five minutes. So, okay. yeah. No. Okay. I mean, no one other than Duke fans is going to, you know, uh, maybe yeah. Tech fans will care about it. And just to correct, like, I, I think it'll come up again, like, from time to time. It'll be like, <laughs> I yeah, like how you, I like how you dug into that technicality. Well, it'll be like, just... remember that stupid call from, like, the Grayson it'll come Allen up travel. Duke like, in the semifinals. When the, the Grayson Allen tournament. travel thing happened, UVA fans were pissed for a day. And then they bring it up every once in a while. But, like, the, they played a game, like, a few days later, and then the season proceeded. Yeah. Like, agreed. I just, do you I, even I, remember I, what season that happened in? Uh, like, no, the, my point, my point really wasn't that we're all going to, we're all going to care, care about it. I just, I do think the only scenario where people like genuinely do like vehemently sort of care is if it like UVA wins it by one game, you know? Um, and it's kind of, yeah, that's those. the, that's what I mean. Like it could come up there and people were like, that's stupid game that they won. But, like, but even then think, that's just, that doesn't really, I don't think it's going to be like on PTI on Friday or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Unless, unless they've decided to like, you know. Uh, unless the league announces that they're going to like, you know, fire the three officials or whatever, which considering one of them is the son of the dude who used to be the head of the ACC officials, I'm going to doubt that that's going to happen. It anyway. might come up if Duke's on the bubble. Oh, uh, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. But maybe the that, maybe the maybe the committee will give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt. That was one thing I did here is like Duke voting lost a chance at a quad one win. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, I think um, I think that's part of the reason the ACC released a statement. Like, I mean. Look, it, it's in the ACC's benefit for more many teams to make the tournament as possible. Right. So they can just plant that cloud of doubt in a jury, you know, in a selection committee's it's mind. It's like, well, That's they all. really should have beaten Virginia, but they got screwed by the refs. All right, <laughs> put them in Dayton. Put them I in mean, Dayton. I promise you someone didn't. You know, Virginia should have moved up to six in the poll this week. They only moved to seventh, which makes me think there's some people who didn't advance them as far as they would have normally. Yeah, And that's just fair. conspiracy theory on my part. Well. We will end it there. Uh, if you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And uh, if you want to give us a rating or review, we'd appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, give us a look at the website, CavsCorner.com. Lots of stuff. Uh, lots of folks on the message board. We'll be back next week to discuss um, Louisville and Notre Dame. Um, we didn't really think it made a lot of sense to to wait for Thursday to talk about the Louisville game because it like real talk. If there was a whole lot to talk about from the Louisville game, that's probably not going to be good. 
um, and somewhat similar for Notre Dame. So we will be back next week to discuss all of that and more. I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I also want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber again graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence, Justin Ferber, and Brad Franklin, PubTrickCavsCorner.com, thanks for coming out. See you soon.